Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. We are good. So uh, welcome to season two of the Virtually Agile Videocast. And as you guys know, a firm believer in neurodiversity, I am, and therefore I always seek to amplify newer voices as well as hearing from established leaders as well. Today's guest is CEO and founder of Adventures with Agile, one of my favorite agile training organizations, author of the book Change, a blogger, speaker, and trainer included of yours truly. I've been to an Adventures with Agile course, Agile Team Coaching, Agile Team Facilitator, sorry, and Agile Coaching. I'm pleased to welcome Simon Powers to the show. How are you doing, Simon? Uh, brilliant. Well, thanks for having me here. Uh, it's an absolute privilege. Uh, I also have uh, been following your work as well, um, especially on the things you post on LinkedIn and the uh, incredible retrospectives and things and other work that you've been doing. And uh, yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Not a problem. Well, just for, for those of our listeners who may be less familiar with your work, Sam, would you tell us a little bit more about, about yourself, your, your journey with Agile? Yeah, sure. It's It's been a long, long winding journey. And I started many, many years ago building uh, software and uh, uh, large scale applications for typically big companies. And I got into the architecture and things like that and uh, really was looking at how to how to make organizations fantastic through the lens of software. And uh, as I uh, progressed through this journey, I realized that uh, many of the challenges that we've got, uh, which is uh, to, to build these applications from a technical perspective, have been solved. You know, a lot of the technical challenges uh, to, to do that kind of thing have been solved. And the real challenge was actually aligning mostly dysfunctional organizations to combine together to be able to collaborate and innovate with these fantastic uh, tools, the Internet tools, all these kind of um, you know, back, back in my day, like 20 odd years ago, when I first started, uh, the internet was, uh, you know, it was a new thing. And, um, and so uh, it was really how to leverage these incredible tools in the organization. And uh, it was really about uh, figuring out how we can get organizations to collaborate on large scale. And this sort of led me into organizational design and coaching. And uh, really over the last sort of 10, 15 years or so, I've been working at that sort of large scale at the most senior levels of the organization, hopefully to bring in some of the things which enable those uh, fantastic dreams that we have uh, for software and the internet to actually take place. Uh, so I kind of see myself as an enabler of, um, uh, for other people to do wonderful value creation. Um, and that, that's kind of uh, the role that, that I play. And uh, in terms of a journey, like I say, it's been it's been a long winding one, uh, which I won't go into massive detail on, but um, probably the most significant events really were creating Adventures with Agile uh, back in 2013, I think it was, when uh, having operated at this level uh, for quite some time, it's a quite a difficult and lonely role, the role that we play as coaches. We are by definition at the forefront of an organization, helping them really as a leadership role, helping the organization move forwards and to take the opportunities that are in front of it and make the most of them. And when you do that on your own, it's a very lonely and difficult job. 
And often there aren't the people within the organization to support you and to help you and to sort of de-stress and, and to share ideas and, and to try new things. So I created Adventures with Agile to link together people all over the world who were also in this position. And at that time, there weren't very many enterprise coaches, if really any, who were operating across the whole organization. Most things were operating at the team level. Um, of course, that's changed now. And uh, and I do like to think that uh, at Adventures with Agile, we have had quite a bit of impact across the world on that change to bring about some of the thought leaders and combining some of these ideas to push forward to the forefront of uh, enterprise coaching and uh, leadership coaching as well. Um, so that that's kind of what I've been doing, uh, really trying to make a difference as much as I can in the world uh, and remove some of the suffering as uh, Craig Larman says as well remove some of the suffering from software development but really remove suffering from the whole of work yeah I like I love that description I like your description of yourself as an enabler that's one way you could describe an enterprise coach I have personally been described as an enabler but also a disruptor or an agitator and I kind yeah. of I don't mind those either uh, I tend to think of myself as an agitator or a disruptor with a purpose it's always in the interest of continuous improvement I'm not doing it to be spiteful or frustrating. I'm not doing it to be annoying. I'm doing it in the pursuit of excellence or better ways of working. And I interesting, I had a conversation not too long ago now with someone who said that they described themselves as a full stack agile coach. And I was like, well, what does that mean? What, what, what do you mean by that? That's an intriguing term. I've heard of full stack developer, but full stack agile yeah. coach. And they started saying, well, they don't specialize in anything in particular. They like to be broadly applied across many disciplines of agile coaching. I thought, okay. And, I, and that prompted me to think about what I consider my, myself to be, um, what type of coach I am. And you, you mentioned it yourself, removing the, the harm in people's way or making people's lives better. Very similar for me. Consider myself a people first or a people focused agile coach. Someone who's, whose work is all about on an organizational level, trying to remove all of the little blockers, impediments, all of the frustrations, all the things that stop them from being as successful as they can be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. It's a brilliant, brilliant description. And uh, a lot of the time, um, because we are sort of, you know, we live and breathe this stuff. And as I can see that you, you're the same, it's uh, we're, we're nerds in our own way, if I may oh. say so. You know, we are deeply entrenched in the world of organizational change. And there is so many different parts to that, uh, which, you know, everything from you mentioned neuroscience and uh, the, at the beginning and, you know, the, how people change and how they evolve, how people learn is so radically different across different individuals. So you've got the whole people development, people growing, being able to deal with more complexity, being able to hold ambiguity, but not get overwhelmed by it. So it's the whole people side of things. And then we've got relationships, which is a whole nother level of complexity other than the individual. How do relationships work? One-to-one -one relationships, team relationships, and then relationships across a whole group of people or, or an organization of people. And then of course, there's the more sort of what I call the sort of horizontal or the, the harder uh, skills, which is actually learning about agile processes, learning about how work can flow through a system, uh, how we measure work, how we get value to the customer, how we organize ourselves through structure and process and all of those kind of things, which are also needed to enable uh, an organization to make the most of its uh, the opportunities presented to it. So it is a hugely deep discipline uh, with with many, many things. And, and it's it, it takes a lot to be able to operate in this space uh, at that level um, to hold it all together, really, and to, to have gone that deep. And I'm completely OK with your description there about being nerdy about it. That's absolutely what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm, I'm course, consider myself a philomath, someone who loves learning new things. And that applies to topics I'm passionate about, including agile coaching. And it's one of those topics where I could look at 
what agile coaching is. And I could start with just, for example, the, the competency matrix from, from Lisa Atkins. And you could look at that and you could probably spend a lifetime specializing in just one area and becoming an amazing facilitator, an amazing mentor, an amazing um, teacher or, or, or whatever that whatever the rest of them are. I know what the rest of them are, but all of the rest yeah. of them are. And it's one of those things where as I learn more, I realize how much more I don't know. Yeah, as, I, as I delve a little bit more into a certain topic, um, I discover there's more I'm not aware of. Um, true knowledge is knowing you know nothing. I love that quote from Socrates, and it, it's, it applies so much to my, my life now. I, I, and this is why I love learning new things. It's why I engage in communities of practice. It's why I share with lots of people what I've learned, because I'm equally looking to learn from others as well. Yeah, and, and it is really, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Learning is the, is the key. And um, I think there's been a few mentions to this, uh, but I think it, I think Craig Larman mentioned something like this. This is the second time I mentioned him him now. Uh, but uh, Craig Larman, is, he mentioned uh, at the, um, uh, the LESS conference in Amsterdam just recently about how it's not so much about adaptability, but it's about the ability to, who's fastest at learning is, mm-hmm. is the, the sort of thing. And, uh, and I thought about this in my own uh, life and also in terms of um, hiring people and who do we need in organizations to make agility work. And it's not necessarily the most knowledgeable because we know that situations change radically, things change quickly, job roles move around, different opportunities come about. And so it's not so much who knows the most, it's about who can learn the fastest and has the right sort of attitude and ability to learn. And uh, there's a, a beautiful graph where, which sort of on, on the y-axis, it sort of shows amount of knowledge that you've got. And uh, someone's quite high up, but has a very slow learning curve. Um, would you prefer to sort of hire that sort of person or someone who is, uh, has a low knowledge, but a very steep ability to learn? And, uh, you know, very quickly, you see the person with the steep learning ability to learn or the, who can learn fastest can adapt quickest. And uh, obviously with, in our changing environments that's very very useful so it's interesting isn't it that 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 learning fast moniker or or description there um one of the common phrases you'll hear in the agile coaching circles or has been around for a while now is that fail fast concept Mm. and it's been around for a while now and i i embraced it initially because i i understood the the intent behind it but i think it's it's one of those ones where i i have observed Certain demographics don't like it. Failure is still this stigmatized thing. No no one wants to fail. It feels bad to fail. So instead, one of my own values and and, uh, is is learn fast, learn often. And I and I encourage people to rebrand failure as learning, right? Don't think about it as failure, just think about it as a learning opportunity. And therefore, I encourage people to learn fast, learn often. You know, you look at um books like Better Value, Sooner, Safer, Happier. I say um, one of the, the the main phrases that I recall coming out from that was. Think big, start small, learn fast. And yeah. That pace, pace of learning, pace of innovation, pace of change, your ability to adapt to that, I think is, is key to surviving in this current VUCA world. I hate saying that phrase, but VUCA world. <laughs> there have been some certain phrases, haven't there, that have come up in the, in the, that we've all kind of taken on board. In our ones, yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, definitely those there. But they, do, they are adequate and they, they do describe that. It's funny because um, there's also another aspect to learning, which I think is, uh, which, which is really good to talk about. So when we're looking at organisations, um, we, we can start to think, right, well, what environment would be best to create 
for people to be able to increase the angle of their learning. Mm. How can they learn more? How can people be in an environment where they can learn more? And this can be a good place to start for, for leaders who are looking to see, well, what does it mean to lead with agility? Well, one of those things would be, what environment can I create which enables and enhances the learning of my staff? So that's 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 one aspect which I think um, uh, comes out of this. So rather than thinking that people are fixed in their ability to learn, because often people can learn better in different styles and different ways. We've certainly learned that as a training company. There isn't one way of learning. So what? How could we supply different? How could we supply an environment which offers different ways to learn, different styles of learning, so that everybody can learn at the same time collaboratively? And um, those are. Uh, kind of key elements of leading with agility i think it's definitely an observation that i've made from my my teaching my my uh, imparting of wisdom upon uh, teams myself is that there are various different learning styles and people embrace different ones i i from my preference i love using uh, i guess the tactical hands-on game style of learning um, yeah. i like to be involved and i like it to be hands-on and i like it to be in there in the moment and i i resonate less with the the role play style of of learning because I don't know why, I just it just it was there's a res, element of resistance there. Maybe it feels uncomfortable. I'm not sure it is, but I always dread doing them. But equally, I probably learn more from them than I than I realize I'm going to after I've done them. But yeah. there's definitely various styles that resonate with different people. And when I'm looking to do these sorts of trainings, I'm, I'm increasingly looking at how I can make that experience tailored to the individual rather than just being broadly applied across everyone, saying, well, everyone's just going to do this, this, this course and or this online learning thing and then they're expected to know everything yeah yes exactly and uh, and different subjects i think lend themselves to different styles as well so for example if you're learning coaching you can't really learn coaching from a book you can learn about coaching but you can't learn to coach so you have to really have someone else there who's coaching you and you're coaching them and you practice it and you have someone helping you get it right it's the same with swimming you can't learn swimming by watching a video and you've got to get in the water get on with it and give it a go and yeah, uh, other yeah I was say, we're, we're not at that phase yet where we've got like a, a machine like in the matrix where you can just plug it into your temple and download the knowledge into your brain and suddenly you load kung fu we're not there yet so therefore oh, sometimes yeah. we do have to get that tactile hands-on experience and and actually exactly. practice it. yeah, yeah. And, and other things i think are good at learning so some things i'm a very fast reader and when i watch videos or audio books i like to watch them on, or read them on 1.5 speed so I just I can absorb information very quickly if it's kind of knowledge mm. that's just about facts and, and about the models and that kind of thing. I can download that stuff by listening fast. But uh, so that that's a good platform for that for me. But uh, the coaching would be re required, you know, hands on. So, yeah, I think that's um, uh, being acknowledged, acknowledging that and building those kind of uh, environments into the organization is key. Um, another thing which I think is also really important is uh, about reducing risk. So when we're looking at um, sort of organizations and what they've got, they've, they've got these opportunities, they've got a, a market that might be changing and they want to make the most of that. That requires an organization to shift and change and, and perhaps uh, operate in a different way of working. And there's a risk to that. And so we don't want to keep creating change at a high risk. We want to lower that risk. And, uh, and learning and the, uh, the method of learning, being able to create an environment around learning is another way of reducing the risk and the cost of continual ongoing change. So uh, we can see it not just as a, as a function of um, uh, doing the right thing and keeping up to date, but it's actually a matter of lowering risk. And if you look at 
from an investment point of view into any business, you look at, well, how much am I investing? What am I going to get back? And what's my risk factor? And if I've got the same money back, but a lower risk, that's a better investment. So investing in your company's learning, in, in somebody's company's learning is, um, you know, if leaders invest in their companies is what I'm saying in terms of a learning environment, actually lowering the risk, which is a better investment opportunity. It's interesting. There's, there's almost like what, what, what sprang to mind as you were describing that was almost like a, a technical debt, but on the knowledge acquisition or the change side of things. So if you, if you have an, a, a, an environment where a company isn't investing in that change, they're, they're, they're changing infrequently, then the time, mm. the, the, the next time they try to or, or are forced to make any sort of fundamental change, it will be costly in terms of it being time intensive, difficult. Whereas if you've got a, a company, an organization, an environment that's, that's building that learning and that change in, every time they do that, it will be that much easier. Just like when we have uh, removing technical debt in, in software delivery. So it's almost like a, a knowledge or a, a knowledge acquisition or a change debt that you could incur by not building in that sort of environment. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Organizational uh, debt, uh, structured debt and, um, and knowledge debt. And, uh, and building that environment in keeps that debt low so that there's the ability to change. Yeah, exactly. And um, the, the other interesting thing about learning is, I think, um, I think it was Peter Senge who came up with the idea of the learning organization, or certainly it was uh, a lot of his books, which uh, his talks and things which um, uh, made it popular. And, um, and I feel like um, the learning organization is fantastic and most people haven't even got to that space yet at all. Um, however, I think that there is a stage further than that, which is the meaning making organization. And uh, if we look at decision making, uh, often decision making is based upon not so much what we've learned, but the meaning that we make out of any given context and the right way forwards. And so I think that a lot of the... Um, the approach to agility can start with learning. How do we take this information in? How do we keep um, growing our staff? How do we keep uh, adapting? But also it's around how do we collectively meaning make? So if you think that um, uh, with knowledge work, we've got people who are doing the value creation, people who are building things, software developers, designers, um, people who are on the front line to say talking to customers, all these people have their own window into the world. They've all got a, one small jigsaw piece of what the whole company uh, of knowledge. And when you start combining all of those different jigsaw pieces, suddenly you get to see the whole picture of the jigsaw. And typically the leadership styles that we have in most organizations are very not more predict and control than command and control and information goes up and down and doesn't really go that much across. And so really leaders who are making decisions are operating on a very, very small, thin piece of the whole jigsaw puzzle. And often they don't get the information even from the people working for them. So we've got this very unreadable jigsaw that the organization really needs to be able to see, to be able to optimize holistically across the organization. And so when we're looking at agile transformations, I think that organizations would be a lot better off if we could create the kind of type of facilitation and, uh, and group activities that bring in information. And this is not only information about what people are doing, but the information, the experiences they're having, the emotional experiences they're having, the, the feelings they have around what's happening in the organization, what matters to them most, 
bringing that together into a big picture so that strategy and um, and next steps can be holistically made across the, with this big one picture and i'm not seeing that happen a lot in organizations um and i think that's missing a trick there yeah this is interesting is something in an area that i'm increasingly uh, investing and experimenting with is how you enable that that bigger picture how you how you en masse crowdsource and, and, and collaboratively share these sorts of mm. things. And I've been doing so more recently through, through town hall sessions, because I'm, I'm facilitating those on behalf of the, the digital side of my company across all the 13 squads we have here. And I'm doing these town halls in this participative, interactive way, rather than the traditional, which usually used to be this top down, here's what's important, here's the vision, go and do it, guys. Uh, maybe a bit of Q&A at the end. I'm increasingly building in these these interactive and using using virtual whiteboards and Miro and things like that to enable people to participate, share right. What experiments should we trying next? Where where is there? I did a uh, a snow day themed one recently that was that was all built in the mountains, right? And there was there was I something I created I created okay. called the the Pain Avalanche, and it was kind of loosely based on uh, Lisa Radkin's Pain Snake, right? So I, there was like an avalanche of post-it notes falling down the side of the mountain, and I was like, right, tell us where you are experiencing pain in the organization. And what that leads into is lots of little inputs of data where people are struggling. Systemically, we can then as an organization work on how to improve those things for those people. So we're hearing yeah. their problems and then going and solving them en masse rather than it being that up comes through the Scrum Master from they flag that impediment up to this team, up to this team and so on and so forth. It was just en masse, the ability to see these things uh, and everyone's exposed to them transparently. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, if anyone can create innovative and exciting and engaging uh, workshops like that, I know that it will be you. So I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that you're doing this and that you've got some fantastic. I can I, just with your description there, I can just see the whole town hall. I mean, I'm imagining it with people in person, but of course, these days it would be all, all online. But um, yeah. either way. Yeah, what a fantastic vision. So yeah, I can imagine this uh, in this particular instance, it's about what pains people, what, what matters to them? What's the yeah. most important thing that they want to approach right now? And then you can step back from that and go, right, well, look at this. All these people have similar pains. These people have different pains. Mm. How can we then go approach creating experiments, which mm. then reduce this pain and remove that? And, uh, and of course, that could be done in many different ways. But yes, yeah. yeah. And this is why I also mm. subscribe to the kind of the, the health check model that you can do so i've got 13 squads currently and doing a health check with each individual one just gives like a red yellow amber uh, red yellow red amber green view but also a trajectory and then you extrapolate that across all the squads and you can see trends right there's lots of red in this area right what can we do to help people release things better and then you can see that over nine months if you do them every three months quarterly for example you can see trends in direction is it getting better is it getting worse and that just helps you yeah. form the next experiment and it can also just be one way of visualizing improvement or things getting worse so yeah. I, I love these visualization techniques that give you a bit more of a bird's eye view on, on things rather than it being just this up down limited exposure yes yes exactly yeah and um, we, we've also run uh, sort of team coaching sessions where people bring out things and then uh, pin things onto a whiteboard or to put, put their experiences of their coaching in and then other people only what they want to share. So it's within the bounds of the confidentiality because they're the ones sharing it to the rest of the organization and other people do the same coaching team coaching exercise. And we've done this across sort of, you know, hundreds of teams and they all build into the same space. 
and uh, and sort of ar arrange things such that you get a sort of picture of the company, which is the things that have come out of the coaching. And uh, you can do, we've, we've done that over a sort of couple of weeks and then you can stand back and anyone can stand back and look at it and start seeing the patterns and relationships between the organization. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we see things which, um, which would never have known if you'd have just asked every single team and not correlated the the stories that they bring together yeah. and uh, and then that often leads to experiments which no one would have ever considered mm. uh, without those exercises another thing i think that's linked to this that i'm experimenting with is using emps surveys as a way of gauging how people how happy people are and you can also see request feedback and comments as to what's influenced their decision there and by, by doing that, and then you get this um, on a list of 100 comments or whatever, and you can then use various tools in, uh, again, Miro, probably one of my favorite ones, to do like an affinity mapping using like a, where it just clusters all the data together and does yeah. little link causal links between them. So again, it's just another way of visualizing the information. Uh, and I think that can be quite powerful as well. Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to the comment on uh, meaning making. So uh, information uh, isn't enough. It's the meanings that we put out of them. And these tools and workshops are really about designing to make, to make it easy to make meaning out of all of this information so that we can then take the, uh, the, the most effective, or hopefully the most effective uh, strategy forwards, uh, so, you know, given the information we've got. Um, yeah, good. Wonderful. Well, I want to take us slightly away from what we've just been talking about. And I know you've been quite the proponent for uh, enterprise coaching and you've helped with developing. I think Adventures Agile now has the enterprise coaching cohorts, which is more of a, a longitudinal study, a longitudinal, a, a, yeah, a longitudinal way of learning and progressing and developing one's career. Um, yeah. I, I, what I like about this is it's, it's beyond just that you, know, you do a two day workshop and suddenly you get a qualification, right? And it builds in that, that over time, um, yeah, longitudinal study. What do you feel are, I guess, the, the key different differences between those sorts of, um, those sorts of offerings out there and what benefits do you see from them with, with those that are involved in those cohorts? Yeah. And this is, uh, this is really close to my heart, actually. Um, we spent uh, two years build it with work, working with IC Agile to build the competencies for this cohort before we even started writing the actual cohort program. And then we spent another year writing the cohort program. So this has been many, many years of um, building this, 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 uh, the whole cohort. And um, the reason why we spent so long on this uh, uh, is because what we're dealing with is, as we mentioned earlier in this, this recording, was uh, there's so many different elements all related to each other in, in uh, enterprise coaching and in, within the organizations that, that we, we serve. So you've got this massive complex web. And when we try to make sense of that, we try to make sense of it in a linear way, right? What's the most important thing? What's the next most important thing? How does that relate? And before you know it, you've got back into a massive complex web again. And so it's very hard to pull apart what exactly are the competencies required for an enterprise coach to be effective. Where do you start learning? Which, which bit? There's so much of it. And so we spent that long to try to unravel this stuff and, and, and so that it, it could be made simple for people to understand. And the value of doing this whole program in the cohort is that because it is complex and we like to make things simple because that's the way our brains work, then it can people very quickly get lost and uh, it, it but but in doing this role, uh, especially when there are so many demands and so many um constraints around this role from the organizations we serve themselves 
you know, we're, we're dealing with many, many people who, who don't get it, who are resistant to it, who are fearful of, of change. And at the same time, we need to be able to progress and show results. And so the programs are to join together people in the similar role, similar pressures with similar uh, challenges and guide them through the competences which we all took so long in defining so that people can not only uh, get some knowledge acquisition, because that's definitely part of it to, to absorb some knowledge, but just like in the swimming example, the only way to really learn this is to actually go and be an enterprise coach, which ends up being a um catch 22 because how do you be an enterprise coach if you haven't got the experience but how do you get the experience unless you're doing the role so because this is a fairly new industry as in only been around for the last few years not the last 50 years or 20 years everybody is learning on mass mm -hmm. because this is what's required everywhere so if we're all learning none of us completely know the whole industry all of these different things how can we collectively make this effective and lower the risk for the organizations we serve lower the risk for us individually in both our learning but also our effectiveness and so that we, we've got maximum chance of success and so that's really what the uh, cohort's about it's about grouping together people who are doing this and giving them the maximum chance that they've got for making a success and to learn themselves in this incredibly complex and diverse subject I think there's a there's a beauty and a, a beauty in the vulnerability in that that you're admitting that there isn't a predefined answer to it. You know, we are on this learning journey together, and what we're actually doing is bringing together in you know like-minded people, people in similar roles, so they can learn together, share with one another, collaborate with one another, and you know develop with one another. I think there's there's it's quite powerful rather than just this. Well, here's you, if you do this, you'll be agile. You know, if you finish this course, you'll be agile. Yeah, exactly. And we wanted to, right from the outset, we wanted to remove that uh, idea of the learner, learning journey being a finite uh, space. There is a place for knowledge acquisition, I believe. I believe there is a place for going on courses and training and, and gaining knowledge and, and things like that. But there's also a place for being supported within the practice of that. And um, for the cohort programs that we run, we ask people to go on our enterprise classes, which are in the classroom training. But we, we don't pretend that after those classes, that's it. You're going to now be an enterprise coach and can face any situation that the world will throw at you. We hope that you'll be more prepared. You've got more tools and more kit, if you like, to, to, to do it. But you're still on your own. Mm. And the cohort program uh, fixes that by saying, well, let's how, how do we support each other? And of course, any cohort program that's based around coaching or, or support, you end up making such fantastic connections and really getting to know the people well. And, uh, and to be honest, it's an absolute honor to be around the people on some of these cohorts who are dedicating that much time and energy to their own careers, to helping others, because it is a service role, what we're doing. We're trying to make other people's lives better, which does attract the sort of people who, you know, I like to hang out with and, mm. uh, to, and to be around. And so it's been an absolute pleasure, to be honest, to have the people on the cohorts and, and to and to learn about their organisations and about them. Uh, certainly been very um, learning for me as well. This very much resonates with me as someone who firmly believes in that continuous learning style of doing things. I, I jokingly say sometimes that when I have a child, I'll call them Kanban because they are a continuous work <laughs> in progress. And don't worry, Simon, I'm not going to do that to that poor child. But I, I do firmly believe in this. Yeah, we are. I, I am personally a collection of scars and bruises and mistakes and errors. And all of those have shaped who I've become today because I've been learning as I've been going along. 
And so investing in your own learning is so important. And uh, I'm keen to hear how you personally, how do you invest in your own continuous learning? Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy because it seems sometimes like uh, I still feel slightly guilty sometimes because uh, I barely get work done because it's because uh, everything is about the, the learning. I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, a learning junkie in a way. I um, uh, so I learn probably the most the deepest I learn is when I'm actually working with clients and I'm doing doing work myself. Uh, I try to step back from that uh, a little bit to run AWA, um, but um, I do always keep hand in a little bit and uh, do bits here and there. I learn from the people that uh, I'm working with in terms of the cohorts, like we mentioned, and people coming on the training. People are always sharing their stories and their ideas, so I learn from them as well. Uh, I love going on the courses, so we, we ask people to come to AWA to run their courses from all over the world, and uh, I'm in a very fortunate position where I get to go on their courses normally uh, for free, so I get a lot of training for free, which is, uh, which is very a perk of the job in a way. Um, and then, of course, there's the community, which um, we host our webinars and things and uh, meetups every month, sometimes more than a month. So I get to sit on most of those and learn from people there. And uh, and then sometimes I um, like at the moment I'm learning uh, to be a therapist. So I'm uh, I'm literally paid for a, a, you know, a training course and I'm on the training course and I'm and I'm learning to become a therapist. So uh, that's just one of the things that I uh, that's just what I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, it's constant learning. I'm reading books all the time. Every time I drive and pick my children up, I've got audio books playing in the car at 1.5 speed. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, pretty much an ongoing, to be honest. Sounds excellent. Uh, right then. So you kind of, you, you mentioned about enterprise coaching. You've been helping set the standard for what enterprise coaching is, defining those competencies. In yeah. your view, what would you say is the difference between uh, a scrum master, uh, maybe an agile coach and an enterprise coach. How would you how would you define those differences? Yeah, it's a question that comes up quite a lot. And uh, there are clearly common elements across all three roles, which are the same. So, uh, for example, coaching, professional coaching is something which I think is valuable at any of those levels, which is really about growing another person. It's the uh, same as mentoring as well. And all three of those roles have very key, strong elements of mentoring and growing others uh, to, do, to do their role. Um, I think that there is quite a difference in terms of the depth of the relationships that happen. For example, a scrum master is often with the same team, sees them on a daily basis and builds very strong, deep relationships with the team. Um, agile coaches, especially if they have, say, 180, 100 people that they look after, they still probably with that number of people will know 90% of the faces in, in, in their in their area, if not all of them, but they won't, and they, they'll have maybe a few people that they they operate with on a, on a semi-daily basis, but it won't quite be the same. And an enterprise coach is even less uh, deep relationships. They may have more relationships with the leadership, but again, leaders are very busy. They don't spend every day with them. Uh, they spend their day with a lot of different people. So there's a depth of relationship there, which I think is different. Um, different knowledge of the business as well um so there's some very deep things that scrum masters need to know about their teams about if it's a technical team then they're going to really need to understand that that sort of approach to the way the team's working and how they can best uh, create the right environment for the teams um and uh, people working at sort of portfolio level are probably going to need to know a bit more about how work flows through different departments and the constraints and budgets and things like that and then at an enterprise level we need to start looking at sort of whole fulfillment cycles and 
and how uh, the leadership relates and, and what kind of environment is being set and what kind of organizational risks are being taken on. And so there are different skills across the different um, the different uh, or different levels of knowledge, really. Uh, so some things are the same. Some things are different. Um, yeah. Thank you uh, for sharing that. that. And thanks for not mentioning the pessimistic view, which is usually something around a couple of hundred pounds extra in day rate. <laughs> well, this is interesting because um, it's unfortunate because the role, those three roles are not hierarchical, in my opinion. And uh, what happens is, is that the reason why the day rate comes into it is because we're mapping a non-hierarchical profession into a hierarchical organization, which typically rewards members at the top of that hierarchy greater than those below. Enterprise people tend to work higher up in the organization and therefore their pay is it ends up being more than those people below. But when you look at the depth that, say, someone who's been doing software development for 25 years or a scrum master has been doing their craft for 25 years, that person has immense skill and ability to create high-performing teams where the value is created. And for me, that is no less important than somebody who's an enterprise coach creating value where they are. Uh, and the pay comes in purely because we're mapping into a hierarchical system. Yeah, I completely agree. I've definitely seen a lot of that. It's that desire to fit uh, new newer roles into industry standards to say, right, if you are X level, this is this is where you're at. If you're X level, this is where you're at. And it's, it's, I guess it's one way to demonstrate progression. Sometimes people want to be able to see what's beyond my current role. Where could I move into? And that can sometimes come into it. But also, as you say, there are sometimes structural organizational things that people are doing there to just just to align uh, and force a hierarchy when there isn't really one intended to be there. And yeah. actually, it's, it's interesting. Interesting. My my role these days is is more the enterprise coaching level. I am less exposed to the, the the day the depth of relationships that you were describing. It's for that exact reason why I still, as much as I can, will jump in and, and facilitate a retro. Yeah, and retro being my favorite one. It's just so I can yeah. keep anchored to the, the people on the ground, the the work, the people doing the the hard stuff, the difficult stuff, the the people in the trenches. I want to remain close to that because I think it, it it's a shame when you. When you lose that perspective sometimes almost the further removed you are from that the less people focused you can be because you, you are working with abstractions of people sometimes to an extent because it's all risk it's all this it's all that and you're not working with people as much yeah exactly and uh, i really like the idea of the hierarchically turned on its head so um the the real value that leaders uh, can offer and us as enterprise coaches is to enable those people to be yeah. able to create the value and really that's what the company is about is creating value for customers because if you're looking at the bottom line and, and i really don't like it when the leadership say what's the purpose of the company it's to make money yeah uh, it, um, basically yeah we know that we're in a capitalist that's society a, that's a given that's a that's given, a given. Right? Yeah. No, no one's motivated by that. No one wakes up in the morning and thinks, do you know what I want to do today? I want to make some money for this company. Yeah, exactly. And I have seen literally leaders stand up in front of, say, a town hall or a group of people and try to motivate them by the fact that we're going to make a billion dollars this quarter. And you can see the phones come out and people start tapping their mates because it's like that's more interesting than motivated. To, and, and they're not going to see any of that billion. Yeah. You know, no one's going to see that. So so what value do we actually add uh, as, as a company? Who is which customers are going to come back because we're doing a better job and we're the, we're the place that they want to work at and the people who are going to make that happen and the people in the value chain people who are um people who are creating the value so really it's about how do we enable that to happen more completely yeah completely 
Right. What, what, in your view, are the, the biggest barriers you've observed to organizational agility out there? What are the things stopping companies from being, being agile? And how would they, how would they navigate those? Yeah, that's, it's a brilliant question. And it changes over time. And uh, I, I've seen that it, as and whatever's stopping it at the moment will be overcome and it will be a new barrier. And so I'm seeing this has changed over time. And I think right now the barrier is uh, lack of strategy. Okay. So a lot of leadership are actually getting uh, agility. So I think maybe a year or even two years ago, I was feeling that leaders weren't getting it. They were uh, unable to create the right mindset. They were unable to operate in the right way. The moment stress came back in, they went back into a very tight control. Whereas I think maybe lockdown, uh, and I haven't, there may become some companies where it's got worse. I have, I have heard stories of companies being worse through lockdown in terms of commanding and controlling. But my experience has been that actually leaders are getting it more and they understand what what is um, what is the, re- the required mindset. They can see what people need, but they don't yet know how to to make it happen. So there's a lack of strategy at the leadership level in terms of how do we make this come about. And uh, the default is like, right, I get it. I see what we need to do right now. Where's the detailed plan? Right? How do we, you know? And it goes back to the old way of working because that's worked with them before. So it's really agile strategy, which I think is missing. And um, and that's where we'll be focusing, certainly for the next year or two, in providing a, a bit of better agile strategy for people. It's interesting that I, I I no longer use the word transformation. I think I think mm. lots of companies have been through several transformations. It might have left a, a bad taste in their mouth. And I think that the word in itself it suggests the wrong approach to it. It suggests that you will start something, you'll finish something, and you're done, right? And yeah. and, and hands off. I tend to use evolution now, right? We're just continuously evolving our ways of working. It's never finite. Just like our continuous learning journey, we are continuously evolving. We're continuously uh, getting better, hopefully. We're continually adjusting based on what we've learned, uh, based on the new environmental factors that we're facing, based on things like COVID happening and so on and so forth, based on changes in the competitive landscape, all those things. And we're evolving and changing as an organization. And this is why coming back to what we were saying earlier, that that ability to respond and change at pace without so much resistance, without that, that knowledge there is going to be so key, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the word evolution as well. I like sort of gardening metaphors or all those kind of things. Anything that doesn't assume that we've got another three year change plan and at the end of it, we'll all be fine. Yeah. And uh, we know that doesn't work. Uh, it might have worked years ago if it ever works, but it certainly doesn't work now. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm aware that you are releasing a book or you're in the progress of writing a book. It's called Change. And yeah. to my understanding, you're releasing it chapter by chapter, almost agile authorship, which I which I love. It's how I intend to release my books one day. How is that going? What's that book about? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. For, thanks for mentioning that. Um, I really wanted to write something which was sort of capturing the little nuggets which we learn by being and doing uh, agile at large scale so um, there's in there is it starts off with a sort of uh, a journey around the, the basics of agility which surprisingly I don't think many people have really got the idea of evolving process or, or emergent process and what real complexity actually means so I've just been trying to rather than sort of rehash a lot of the other complexity work out there it's quite a personal account really the book about the things that I have come across the little nuggets and little wisdoms that I've found useful for myself 
and it sort of progresses uh, through what I would consider a sort of strategic uh, progress through um, a, a evolution of an organization and uh, sort of starting with leadership and working through and I, I talk about things like decision making and ethics and and things like this but not in the broader sense but in the actually how can you use this stuff to for for your own advantage in making things work um so yeah it's it really it's just it's a personal account of um of things i think are useful for an enterprise coach and leaders and uh, I've called it change rather than agile change or agile transformation or agile this or agile that just because I think that um, I think that agile as we started this journey 20 odd years ago with the agile software manifesto um, we've agile has the, the industry if there is such a thing has been folding in more and more topics as we mentioned and it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger until it almost tries to model life and um there's and i'm agile, wondering there's agile this there's agile that it's almost agile because agile commoditization is what i've seen and I, I had a great conversation mike cohen was a guest on the show and he was talking about how he loved the fact that or he would he, he would love if we just stopped talking about agile it just became what we did right yeah and it sounds like you 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 you've got a similar message there you'd love it if we just stopped talking about agile and it just became how we did things because we knew that was what was going to get us the right outcomes exactly and that's exactly it it's about outcomes and it's about finding a way to get there and uh, pretty much i mean we're my, my company is adventures with agile but that's pretty much as far as the agile word goes people come to us because they want agile and once we're engaged it's pretty much the last time we'll mention it mm. it's really working with people to figure out what is the best way forwards for their business and the outcomes that they're looking for and how do you organize that and yes a lot of those tools do come from the agile world and uh, but i feel that like agile has taken on so much it's almost become meaningless mm. it's like it's coalescing with life itself sure until it's just what we do and I, i've um, definitely i've definitely seen this and it's it's why sometimes depending on who i'm working with it might be a new client it might be a new stakeholder that's particularly difficult they might have been through as we've talked about many versions of transformations they might have experienced agile in a bad way and sometimes you just need to remove agile from the equation to say hey right what outcomes are we working towards how can we best get that is, is it through iteratively experimenting and trying things and learning from what we're doing okay well that's that's some of the principles of agile anyway and it's not saying we're going to do agile we're just we're going to say we're going to learn frequently fast often some of those things that we've talked about um, but removing agile from the equation and doing so yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think one of the reasons why agile has become a difficult term is because, and I was guilty of this as well, because we didn't know any better. Mm. Um, when we first started doing this, you know, we took on the frameworks, we did all this stuff and we deployed them on people's business. And we, we yeah. said, right, well, here's an agile process, do this and it will work. Copy and paste and, and you are now agile. Yeah, and now you're agile. And we, we tried that. We thought, oh, well, that's fantastic. We tried it and it didn't work. And uh, you do that a few, you do that a few times, and then you think, oh, well, maybe there's a different way. And then we try different things, and that's when we started looking at, well, what if we try to coach an organisation and see what comes out of that? And then we realised that coaching is fantastic, but we also need a bit of mentorship, and we also need a bit of um, leadership, and we need, you know, how to do other things as well. And we do need bits from the process, and so folding all these things together into something that works has gone through a lot of iterations over the years uh, as an industry as, as we've tried to figure out how to best help organizations and some of those iterations of what it takes to move an organization forwards have been more successful than others 
And, uh, and so I think that some people have assigned the word agile in their head to a particular instance of how to change an organization, whether that is process first, we've now, we know that people first has to, is a, is a better way forwards. And so it's a bit untangling that word from an instance in time of how we approached organizational change. Um, so anyway, that's what I think um, is, is why agile becomes dif difficult. People tend to latch it on to the first time they came across whatever was happening in their organization at that time. That was what Agile was. And it is, it, there's enough battles going on in organizational change without having to unlearn what Agile means or doesn't mean. Well, yeah, it's, so, that, yeah. it's that unlearning. Again, one of the first things I do when I'm approaching a new situation with new people, uh, whether that's teaching them or a new team I'm, or organization I'm working with, is first off, understand where they currently are. And if I put my hand, if I ask them to raise their hand and say, who's worked with Agile or who's read a book on Agile, or who's done a course on Agile, or who's, who's been doing it for years, there'll be lots of different experiences there. And some of them might have worked with one framework and some another, and there's going to be lots of different experiences there. And it's not that they need to unlearn them. It's not that any of those that they've done is bad or, or negative. Um, but we, what, what we do want to do is get everyone talking on the same hymn sheet as a starting point. Everyone understanding and aligning as to what agile means for us why it is we're doing it what the outcomes are behind it yeah lots of lots of interesting things there uh yeah. final question simon uh, i always ask every guest on my show uh what <laughs> new theme would you add to my retrospective backlog we've had some interesting ones mike cohen challenged me to do taco tuesday um i've had one's about fish in a river i've had about hiking i've had about mountain biking i've just today created one based on euro 2021 for awareness there's only one mention to it's coming home for those non-english fans what would you yeah. add to my backlog simon gosh um that's really tricky i hadn't thought of that before um so i guess i'm probably too late for sort of themes like lord of the rings and things like that i bet that's been done to death isn't it that's been done that one in particular yeah. that's uh Okay. Um, so let's think of something topical then. Um, so what's going on in the world, maybe? Uh, I, I assume that there's something that you've probably done around um, uh, some kind of the way that, say, for example, COVID, for example. Have, there must be something that you've done with that already, I should assume. There, there actually is not a pandemic okay. or COVID themes retro, so I can very much do one. Okay, It might so, be a year late in the making, but I can definitely do it. <laughs> Well, the thing is with that is that there's lots of elements that could be brought out. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. No. It doesn't have to be a disaster. There's lots of complexity around the pandemic uh, that we've learned about and iterative approaches to solving complex problems. So there could be something in there which could be uh, positive. Like, for example, what risks are we reducing? Perhaps masks kind of thing, or there could yeah. be something to do with um, uh, threats, uh, and how we protect against those threats. How do we make the most of the time that we've got individually? I don't know. How can, it, how can, we, make, yeah, how, how can we make learning go viral? Yeah, how can we spread our knowledge virally and things like that? I don't know. There's, there's lots you can, you can do with that. I'll have a think. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that one. <laughs> I will create that. Well, uh, any final thoughts you'd like to share with any of the listeners, Simon? Um, only that um, you know it, it's it's a t it's a tough tough role tough job this um, but there is massive hope there are huge successes that are happening all over the place in this industry and uh, the biggest chance that we've got of success is if that we keep talking we keep sharing case studies sharing things that you've done and uh, encourage others to do the same because we, we we do lack that in our industry really good case studies if we can share these things keep listening to things like this um, and uh, keep learning.
because it's uh, you know it's a it's a fantastic role to be part of and um and and, and thank whoever's listening to this for listening thank you and thank wonderful. you for inviting me. no problem simon wonderful parting sentiments thank you for sharing thank you for giving everyone your knowledge there um for anyone else uh, keen on listening in the remaining episodes of season two we'll be hearing from pia thorin co-author of the agile people manifesto uh, we've got Ravi Jay, an Agile Transformation Delivery Director at North Highland Consultancy. We've got Neil Warnell, who's a Chief Visualization Officer at Humble Associates. So do keep an eye out on there on the YouTube channel and LinkedIn to find out and hear more about those episodes as they are released. Pleasure as always. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank Bye. you. It's a pleasure. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.